Hi, this is Indy Young, and we're listening to the Service Design Show, episode 130. Hi, I'm Mark, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Service Design Show. On this show, we explore what's beneath the surface of service design, what are the hidden things that make a difference between success and failure, all to help you make great services happen that have a positive impact on people and business. Our guest in this episode is a coach, a writer, and a sought-after speaker. She's one of the co-founders of a legendary design studio called Adaptive Path. Her name is Indy Young. So in this episode, we're going to break through the harmful myth of the average user. Of course, you can't design for everyone. You don't have unlimited resources, so you have to make choices. But how you define who you're designing for matters. It matters a lot. Indy advocates for a research approach to defining users that is based on thinking styles and deep listening. And the best part is when you do this type of research well, it has a huge uptake for everyone, for the people you're designing for, for you as a practitioner and also for your organization. When you stick around till the end of this episode, you'll know how you can take this approach and apply it in your own practice. It's really not that hard. And how you can overcome the big challenge of getting your boss or client to actually invest in it. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you know that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with servicedesignjobs.com. And Service Design Jobs is really the only place online where you'll find the latest service design positions from companies across the globe. These positions are handpicked to make sure that they are really true service design positions and not just a hidden UX role. If you're an organization looking to expand your service design capabilities or your service design team, well, servicedesignjobs.com is probably the best place to get in front of the talent you're looking for. So if you want to submit a service design position, head over to servicedesignjobs.com slash podcast, submit your job over there and get in front of the service design community. So that's servicedesignjobs.com slash podcast. I hope you're ready because now it's time to sit back, relax and enjoy the conversation with Andy Young. Let the show begin. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hi, Mark. Happy that we were able to make this happen. Uh, good that you are on. Um, yeah. 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 Oh, so that, that's uh, that's uh, that's an interesting introduction. Anyway, <laughs> Indy, for <laughs> for the people who haven't uh, googled you yet, uh, I've said something about you in the uh, introduction. Uh, but could you give like a brief background of who you are and what you did so far, and what yeah. you're doing today? Oh, what am I doing today? I'm talking to you, Mark. What else? There we are. <laughs> yeah, it's taken us a while to get this organized. So maybe that was why ah, the pause in the intro. But um, I am one of the uh, founders of Adaptive Path. For those who know who that was, um, that was a kind of a pioneering uh design agency. Uh, well, really, it was user experience. I am not a designer. I got my degree in computer science. I'm a software engineer. I started life as a software engineer. And that was when I realized that we were um, not paying enough attention to how people are trying to get their thing done. And so that became my uh, big 
career. I've written a couple of books about it for Rosenfeld Media. I'm writing another book uh, about listening. I teach courses online now to help more and more people um, understand this because both um, what I'm really passionate about is getting our teams working uh, more collaboratively. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the, the, the logistics of the collaboration, but the enthusiasm of the goal. I think we all believe in the same thing. Uh, we're, we're using different vocabulary between the different sectors of each business. Um, and there's a little bit of, uh, you know, um, shall we say hiccups <laughs> that occur. And a lot of the software that's coming out is pretty dismal. Mm. Hmm. In fact, when people, yeah, but when people ask me, what's your favorite app or something, I'm like, I have no favorite app. I have a lot of hated apps. <laughs> I, I am hounded by minor and medium harm every day that I work. So this is true of others. And this is true to a much greater degree, serious harm and even systemic harm to some members of our society around the globe. So this is what I am uh, really interested in doing is starting to bring our, our, our incredible minds and our craft toward supporting not only like, let's put the human in the center, let's actually put a whole bunch of different humans in the center. Let's take different perspectives. Let's stop making one kind of software that's supposed to work for everybody. Um, because this is actually going to serve our businesses. This is going to serve our orgs. This is going to serve our governments, our education uh, facilities. It's going to help us by multiplying the kinds of solutions that we have out there so that they're more tailored for different thinking styles. So this is my great passion project. <laughs> and this is almost a summary of the entire episode. <laughs> All right. Awesome. And that's just in the intro. <laughs> People listening, there's so much coming up. Uh, it's, it's really interesting because you have a computer science uh, background. Uh, I don't speak to a lot of service designers or people in the service design space who do uh, have that. I have that as well. So I can relate to a lot of things uh, that you're mentioning. Um, <laughs> and I, right? we have to promise to the people who are watching and listening to this episode that we won't just be talking about software. We, this is applicable yeah. to services as well. So don't worry mm -hmm. if you just tuned Absolutely. in to the service design show and thinking that you're going to just hear about <laughs> software. No, that's okay. Yeah. Um, Indy, let's do a, a 60 second question rapid fire round. Five questions. I haven't prepared you for this because that's exactly the point of this uh, <laughs> rapid fire question round. Just answer them as quickly as possible uh, and we'll know a little bit more about who you are. Are you ready? Sure. <laughs> Don't ask me what my favorite app is. <laughs> I won't. I won't. I promise. Uh, I'm going to ask you what's always in your fridge. Ah, beets, golden beets. Oh, okay. That's the first. Um, <laughs> Now you're you're writing a book, but I'm curious which one are you reading at this moment, if any? I'm reading a lot of them. Um, <clears throat> I uh, I've just finished going through my partner's older books on Black history and Black experience, um, and I am also adopting a book that Vivian Castillo recommended for the summer, uh, which title eludes me right now, but it's about setting boundaries. <laughs> well, we'll add a link in the show notes uh, yeah. to that book. 
Next question is, which superpower would you like to have? Telepathy. Mm. With, mm. with a recording device. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're getting close these days. Uh, and some companies already have that. Scarily. Um, <laughs> what did you want to become when you were a kid? An architect. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's what we do here quite often on the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, um, this is the service design show. I'm really curious, what was your first encounter with service design? Oh, uh, probably as a teenager, um, trying to set up my first business. Um, we called ourselves the Tesla teens because we, um, we lived on a road called Tesla Road. <laughs> had nothing to do with the future, Elon. Um, and we had to figure out how to make money amongst ourselves. So that was, that was, we did some service design around that, how to present ourselves, how to get the word out. Mm, cool. Yeah. And I think every business is a service business these days. So mm -hmm. everybody has been doing yeah. service design. Just right. most people yeah. don't know that it actually has a name. Yeah. I should actually say the kinds of services we did was like, I would house clean. I would... <laughs> clean gardens i would wash windows you know that kind of stuff so yeah yeah fair enough mm -hmm. um so in the um you mentioned already a little bit about what we're going to address uh today i, I was looking up your um uh, book list and uh the mental models book list and uh practical Empathy, right? Practical that, empathy, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the Mental Models book, uh, I did note it, but it was actually the first book published by Rosenfeld Media, which which is quite yeah. cool, 2008. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Can you uh, share a little bit about what the next book is going to be about, or do you want to keep that for yourself? No, not a secret at all. Um, okay. My next, next, I'll tell you about the next, next book, which is the one that I've been meaning to write for years, but I've been finally learning how to teach it. And that is about thinking styles. This idea of different thinking styles um, replaces the former idea of like, oh, let's design for different personas and let's, oh, let's invent a new persona. Um, yes, there's, there's solid ways of doing personas. Thinking styles are archetypes um, that represent different philosophic approaches to the same purpose. And what's interesting is a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to design this thing. And it's for a product owner, right? <laughs> and they design it by role. Um, so uh, even within a role, you can have different thinking styles. You have a purpose, you have different approaches, you learn things differently, you have different uh, guiding principles and ways of thinking. Um, so that's the next, next book. Uh, but my editor told me, because the foundation of that is listening deeply, that we needed to get the foundation book out first. So I'm doing a book on listening deeply. I'm uh, still, we're trying to land on a good title for it. And um, so that's uh, the the name, listening deeply is just the name of the course that I teach. Mm. And uh, can we get a date? I can't even get a date from her. So I'm going to say the listening deeply foundation book, probably by the end of 2021, early 2022 and the thinking styles book probably the end of 2022 okay if, okay if things go well yeah hmm. yeah listening deeply uh sounds like a topic that i would love to dig into more i uh this is definitely <laughs> something that i've been exploring in the past year uh at least fantastic yeah how would it's you a, yeah 
I, I, it's just incredibly powerful. <laughs> it's it's more than you think. Yeah. So your explorations probably have taught you that. Uh, it's there's there seems to be like a strong need for this uh, skill uh, at this moment. You already mentioned something about what you're passionate about, uh, what you're into these days. What is the thing out of those things that you mentioned that you'd like to address with the community in this uh, conversation? Um, I, there's so much, right? Um, I think one of the things, um, especially uh, within service design um, and within people who are designing uh, within government agencies, uh, people are particularly passionate about perspective taking. Um, and this idea that um, the way that we think is naturally biased. Um, we all each have a whole set of life experiences um, and we each have one of these human brains that, that um, is geared to make snap judgments. We wanna recognize that tiger coming at us really fast, right? So we're good at the snap judgments. Um, and so we come at what we're deciding as a team, as an organization, quite often with all these assumptions that are sort of unconscious with this unconscious bias. So, so we, we unconsciously and unintentionally create things that are unequal, um, that don't help each type of person, each type of thinking style um, in a way that each of those persons can get equal access um, or in a way that removes barriers equally for everybody or that equalizes cost or prices and payments and things like that. So um, I think that's the big thing is that we're, we want to take perspective we're passionate about taking perspective, but we're not very well trained in it. We're not very well trained in recognizing our assumptions. Um, and we can get better. It's not hard to get better. And we can get better in little steps. You don't have to like study this for four years <laughs> first. So um, uh, a lot of questions uh, come up, but maybe <laughs> if let's rewind a little bit, like uh, how did we get here and how did you become interested in this topic um so i've um my entire career has been a trajectory toward this uh it has been an incremental discovery trajectory so everybody who's listening to this if you're in the beginning of your career you're like well how do i pick um you don't have to pick and you don't have to like have it like all packaged up and you know where you're going. I know people who are like that, who can like have a goal and, and work toward it, but it, it works differently for everybody. Um, and so for, for me, it was definitely incremental. It started out with the realization um, that we were trying to design software that represents a process without understanding how different people use it differently. Um, and so I brought that into this um, uh, company I was working for. It was a supercomputer company <laughs> um, and, uh, and brought that also into my consulting that I did after that, um, trying to truly, um, and this is just the basics of user experience, right? Trying to truly understand different approaches. Um, but along the way, I realized um, I, uh, uh, that 
there are different types of understanding people. And a lot of the way that we understand people is through the lens of our organization. Uh, we are looking at people only through this little narrow aperture of the way that we want to support them or the way that we think we support them. Um, and oftentimes we're only doing research that helps us evaluate how we are supporting them. Or even worse, we call getting feedback research. Um, feedback is not research. Um, we don't, um, when we want to do generative research where we can like, come up with new ideas, um, we don't necessarily frame it correctly. Uh, when we want to do opportunity research, where we want to come up with better understanding of those different perspectives uh, and, and come up with the things that go into the strategy box before we start coming up with new ideas, um, there's very few people out there doing that because we're all under the thumb of let's get this done in a hurry. So um, I want to empower us to get out from under that thumb um, and, and at the same time bring incredible value to our businesses, to our orgs, to whoever we are working with. So um, did that answer the question? Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It doesn't really, uh, it doesn't matter too much. It was, uh, it leads okay. to new questions. And uh, yeah. what, what I'm getting from your story, and this is also what I've recognized in my career as a service designer, is that often our clients want to understand customers rather than people. Mm -hmm. and, there's, and there's a big difference there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, you mentioned like there's uh, a huge uptake, potential uptake for organizations. What is that uptake? And yeah, what is that uptake yeah. for them? What is that update? Exactly. Um, I think what there's three things that I kind of start off this conversation with. Um, one of which we already mentioned is that we're all biased, right? We all have these human brains. We all have our own experiences and we don't necessarily recognize that we're creating unequal solutions and those solutions can be harmful. Um, but the third thing <laughs> is that somehow we ended up with this idea of making digital solutions um, that represent processes. Now, if we're thinking about service design, a service design often will follow a process and use digital tools to achieve it, right? Um, and so this idea of process helping people get things done faster and speed being like the God that we all kneel before, um, why speed? I don't know. Why not quality? Why not <laughs> more time with our family? I don't know what, you know, more time in nature or more, um, better, uh, 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 interaction with, uh, with our planet. Um, I'm trying to say things in a neutral way. Right. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the third thing is that we're in this speed, we're, we're just creating one solution. Um, and we're making that solution like a Crete. we're glomming on like extra things like wasps with their mud nests or glomming on extra things that can sort of help like this weird situation that we heard about or that weird situation. Those weird situations are known in the process world as edge cases. Like this is how that process normally works. But when you are in a humid condition um, or some, or, you know, you're working with 100 people instead of 10, you know, this is how you do it differently. And those are called edge cases. And somehow 
when we've got marketing working in our businesses and when we've got product people working in our businesses going like, okay, how are we going to do this fast and like nail the most amount of people with the least amount of effort, right? And so that becomes the average user. And then somehow glommed into that average user is that there's edge case people. And there's no such thing as an edge case human on this planet. So there you go. I, I see want, you yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to dig into this because I, um, the average user or the average consumer or the average whatever you want to call them, um, when, when we're designing solutions, we have to make choices, right? Uh, mm -hmm. There are limitations or restrictions. Um, so you have to make design decisions. And that means that you have to focus on certain needs, desires. How, how is, <laughs> is this compatible with what you're saying? And if so, how yeah. so? Yeah, I think we're not being wide-eyed enough. We're not being intentional enough. Um, we don't understand the harm we're doing when we're making those decisions. Can you give we an example? Yeah, we don't plan for the future. So let's say that you are, let's see, um, I don't know, what example shall we use? Uh, let's say you're in government, right? And let's say that you're trying to uh, re-up the, um, the plan your government has for people who have been laid off or are out of work, unemployment, right? Some sort of insurance or payment or food stamps or whatever. Um, and you, uh, you have this plan out there. There are several different things people are supposed to come and sign up for it when they need it. Um, and you get, you get some, some problems showing up. Um, and you're like, okay, let's, let's solve these problems. Maybe the problems are that um, uh, there are different size families and they need different size solutions, right? So let's just look at it by size of family. Um, or let's look at it by, maybe we'll get more sophisticated and we're going to look at it by the cost of living where they are right? And that's considered very sophisticated. <laughs> and there's way more that we can do. If we could actually understand what's going through the minds of these people who find themselves in these situations, we'll suddenly realize that there's another, um, you know, 100,000 people out there who are not on the programs out of certain choices or out of certain thinking styles or philosophies that they hold, right? Um, we don't have anything supporting them whatsoever. So let's say that we just have those two thinking styles, um, the person who knows about it and takes it and the person who doesn't know about it and doesn't take it. Um, or maybe a third one, the person who knows about it and does not take it for a certain reason, right? And there are, you can think, several reasons for not taking it. Um, do we plan for this? Do we even know that that exists? Um, what I would like us to be is more intentional and like get this understanding and say, okay, yeah, well, we're still only for the next five years going to focus on the people who embrace it and, and reach out for it um, because there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit there that we can fix. But now we are also planning for these other two groups. 
And we're going to start work on maybe one of those groups in the background while we're still taking care of some of the low hanging fruit here. And what we're gonna be doing is look within each of those groups and see if there are more um, splinters of thinking styles that we can support differently. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. No way. So, so yeah. I think yeah, go ahead. What, you, what you said is there's constraints and time is also a constraint. And humans who are working on this are also a constraint, right? Resources, um, pushing things through various Congresses and government, you know, policy bodies and stuff. Those are constraints, right? Um, and yes, we have to work through there. But let's not just be like going, oh, I think it would be a great idea to go and look by cost of living in that neighborhood. Just because we thought of it. Let's instead understand what they're thinking and go by that. So I hope that a lot of people who are listening to this episode already ha have some sort of um, uh, deeper understanding of qualitative research and uh, what the benefits are. It, it, we've talked a lot about this on the show, and I think it's a, it's a key, key practice within, uh, within our field. One of the thing, things that I haven't encountered or heard a lot in relationship to qualitative research uh, and uh, understanding motivations of people, needs, desires, pains, uh, fears, all that kinds of things, are thinking styles and you've already used that, uh, those words a few times mm -hmm. help, help me understand what do you mean with thinking styles yeah uh let me walk you back just a little bit my book practical empathy was actually a redo of the book mental model diagrams it's essentially the same thing but i discovered that the pieces of information there are it, there are pieces of information that represent people's minds better than others. There is something called surface and something called depth. Um, at surface are the things that we generally represent to one another. We'll explain why something happened or how it's supposed to work. We'll give people our preferences or opinions about things. We'll do scene setting. Um, we may talk about our emotions, but we certainly don't talk about the things at depth. And there's three things at depth. The three things are actually exactly what describe cognitive empathy. Someone's inner thinking, someone's emotional reactions, and someone's guiding principles. Um, if you can understand those three things, then you can be them. You can perspective take. You can get outside of yourself and be an actor and be them and play their character in a different context. Now, the thing about qualitative research is there's a lot of bad qualitative research out there and it ends up, I'd, I'm not calling names. I think we all are learning together. There's a lot of us joining new. Um, so I'm not telling you you're doing a bad job. Um, what I'm saying is uh, a lot of people who have had um, encounters with qualitative research that doesn't help, that is not applicable, want to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. And what they've encountered is, is poorly done, poorly framed research that doesn't give patterns. With qualitative research, validity and solidity 
is measured by the patterns that come out. And so if you're encountering like a one-off, oh, look, this person said this, so we should do it this way, or that person said that, so we should do it that way. Um, those are not patterns. Those are called anecdotes. And we cannot apply anecdotes. Those are not valid. They are not, they are not something that we can use without risk to guide our business decisions. So what we need out of our qualitative data are patterns. And to get patterns, you have to very carefully, sometimes it takes me three months to figure out how exactly, okay, only once it took me three months, usually it takes me two weeks <laughs> um, to figure out exactly how to frame the study. What are we going to study? And when we're doing this kind of qualitative research, the question, what are we going to study? Um, if we're trying to understand other people's perspectives as they are accomplishing the thing they're trying to do, we're going to study their purpose. And what's really interesting, I've written a bit, we're not going to get into this, but I've written a bit, is that if we actually frame our other studies, like in evaluative and even feedback, if we frame those by what people are trying to do, their purpose, and they're thinking toward the purpose. If we frame all of that, then we can like match that data together and see much bigger pictures. We can get layered data pictures, which is, I've seen it a couple of times. It's like jaw dropping. <laughs> I, uh, I can imagine uh, uh, that we're already so deep into this topic. We need to, we need to get back to uh sort of yeah. where we started uh and i recognize a lot of the things you're saying about doing good qualitative research and mm -hmm. uh, again re recalling from my own experience it was um sometime f you you first have to find this uh, research question by interacting with well how, with people I, I, I was almost going to say the target audience or whatever, but you, you interact with people who have a challenge and uh, then sort of the research question emerges. That's right. So, sometimes too. Sometimes. It, it's, it's really, um, I do a lot of interacting with stakeholders. Um, I do a lot of listening sessions with stakeholders to try to understand what what is the knowledge that we're missing? What is this piece mm -hmm. that we're missing that we can't put our finger on right now? And so we talk around it and then you see that missing piece in the middle. Um, and that's then how I can form a, 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 a study, right? What are we going to study? What knowledge do we need? That's the only reason you ever do research. And if you don't need knowledge, um, then you don't need to do research. <laughs> if we would... Uh contrast this approach uh, versus let's say the established approach or the current approach like what are the things that um what's the biggest difference at the end what will um a, a business organization government what will be different for them when they use yeah this yeah different it, approach? it'll it'll be actionable um these are not uh I often hear people say, well, researchers like to do research. Um, they don't care about the business as much. And so what is interesting um, in the approach where we're trying to get a better understanding of what the futures can be, um, it's all applicable. It's all um, in smaller pieces. It's not like, oh, I've got this insight that... Um, Oh, I don't know. To take our example from earlier, um, 
you know, maybe one of our insights is that certain people um, don't like to buy vegetables with their food stamps or something. And so all of a sudden you go and you're like, oh, wow, let's solve that problem. You know, that insight is just like, it's not really a pattern. Maybe, maybe you see it in a couple of people, um, or maybe it's something that came out of a survey. You don't know why you don't know why, mm-hmm. what, what's behind that, mm-hmm. right? Is it truly because they don't like to eat their vegetables and you're just assuming that, or is it because they grow their own vegetables um, in some sort of community garden? Yeah. 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 So right? it's, what do you, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not informing decision-making mm-hmm. or it's not informing smarter or yeah, better decision-making, yeah. right? That's, yeah. that, correct? It's sending us off on like these wild goose hunts that, um, that don't lead us to where we want to go. Um, and in fact, the whole org often doesn't know where it wants to go. It's just being led by the nose. Mm. Um, mm. and I don't, I, that, yeah, I don't think that that's very smart because what has happened so far is that we've got a bunch of software and services. I call them solutions. That's my generic word. We've got a bunch of solutions out there that, uh, that actually hurt people. So uh, <laughs> we, we need to pay better attention to that. We need to be more sure about where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we can't, even if we don't, if we've got the constraints that can't get us there right now, it's on our map. Um, and we can start putting things in place to get us there. We've got a plan. So let's assume somebody uh is a service design practitioner and they they're listening to this and uh, they feel that they want to do justice to the practice they want to do justice to all the people out there uh, they have good intentions how where do we start because you said it's not that hard um, what would be some initial starting points that you could help them to nudge them in the right direction to to make sure that yeah, yeah. that the solutions that they help to bring into this world don't do harm right yeah that's um so i think we mentioned earlier about listening deeply and the power of listening and i think one of the most powerful things to do right now is to learn how to listen and then begin building relationships by listening deeply with all of your colleagues and your stakeholders um this i think is a it's an extremely powerful way. Um, I talked in the very beginning of the show about like getting us to collaborate better. It's an extremely powerful way of understanding other people's guiding principles and understanding where we match and where our vocabulary is causing friction that is unnecessary um, or where they don't match and where we can build respect for a different person's uh, guiding principle and recognize what they're after um, and, and be able to support that as well as our own guiding principles, so to speak. So I know that's a weird answer well, to that question. No, but no it isn't. Yeah. Because, well, <laughs> I, I'm curious how, um, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of definitions, but uh, what are some key components of uh, deeply listening or listening deeply? Yeah. Yeah. The key component is recognizing when someone is speaking at surface and recognizing when they're speaking at depth. And um, if you are 
in a listening session, um, you will, uh, people will speak at surface and then go down to depth and then go up to surface and then go down to depth. And your job is to try to entice them down to depth. We're not used to speaking to one another like this. Um, and we are not used to feeling heard. And that very powerful moment when you recognize someone else hears you um, is uh, one of the things that helps us get people to depth. So what we do is a lot of support. We, we, we support them to show that we are hearing them, that we're not judging them. Um, we do something I call micro-reflection um, to help them continue uh, a little bit of their story or continue the next step down into depth. I do something where I take them back in history. So if they get stuck talking about, say, a preference, well, where did that form? Um, and often we will go back years and years and years, and we will see where it formed and get the inner thinking, get the guiding principle behind that. Um, sometimes... Uh, when people get down to that level of depth, <laughs> then they go, they take off. My God, I've got somebody listening to me. That's rare. Um, and it feels amazing. And so the, a lot of the time when people are confident in their trust with you, if you've built that rapport correctly, um, they will keep going and you will get incredible amounts of depth. And what I mean by depth is those three things, their inner thinking at that point in time when they were trying to, you know, do something um, or their reactions and what those reactions set off, maybe more reactions, maybe more inner thinking and what their guiding principles are that they use to make their decisions in that point in time. So this is all very tied to a, 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 an experience uh, that they are going through as they're trying to accomplish something. And we try not to speak in generalities. We try not to ask them, well, how do you blah, blah, blah. Um, instead, it's what went through your mind as you, the last time you blah, blah, right? So there, nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, uh, you you bring so many memories back to me, so I'm uh, constantly re reflecting on my uh, my years as a service designer. And I recall these kind of conversations and um, research studies where, when you would have conversations like this, and you would have notes or you had you'd have a diary or something like that, people would want to keep your notes because it was so personal. And if you mm -hmm. put that into contrast uh, of the thing people are used to, which is surveys, like people hate doing a survey, right? And yeah. they, they wanna get mm -hmm. done with it uh, in a short amount of time as possible in, compared to what you're describing and listening deeply, being heard, like they won't, they, they won't stop talking. It's, it's, I always found it surprising how quickly yeah. you can actually get to depth with people and how quickly they're yeah. open to to share if you're genuinely interested. Yes, exactly. One of the other tricks too is that I do them mostly by audio only. Um, and the audio only serves as a shield for that person to, um, to hold on to as they're starting to develop trust with you. Um, it also allows for quicker uh, trust and less distraction to happen um, to, than having a visual yeah, compared okay. to visual. Yeah. Okay. Visual or in person. Yeah. Mm. There are certain times when I'll do in person, but they're rare. 
I usually do it audio only. Mm. It's very interesting. Mm. Yeah. Let, let's uh, transition a bit into the um, aspect that I know you have strong opinions about, and that is <laughs> how do we get um, a business to be more open to to this approach? Because like, uh, quote unquote, selling user research, selling qualitative research, uh, to companies that have a three month, six month, 12 month horizon. Mm -hmm. That's, that's super tough. So what have you found? Yeah, I've, um, I've not found a lot of success, like brilliant success stories where you can go, Oh, I want to be like them. There are a lot of success stories that are small. Um, and it has all been driven by people who are passionate about, um, being able to see uh, see a little bit farther um, into that horizon and being able to see other perspectives. Um, so when it's driven by those people, um, usually we'll get uh, you know some sort of a study off. And these studies, these are things you do once every couple of years. Um, you they're also cumulative. People's inner thinking doesn't shift that much. Um, whereas evaluative, you can layer that on top of these, uh, I call them opportunity maps. You can layer that on top of the opportunity maps and then erase it once your solution changes and layer in new evaluative data. Um, and so this is the way that this data layering and um, the, the connection to how we are improving in our support for this thinking style um, and improving in our understanding of this other thinking style we haven't quite yet supported, right? And being able to layer that on top of this opportunity map as well. It makes people hungry to start supporting that other thinking style as well. Um, so this is um, generally, I'll see it uh, get off the ground and then something like a merger will happen and it gets disappeared. Um, I just ran into somebody last week who is working at a company where exactly that happened and it got disappeared for about 10 years and she's going to go unearth it because <laughs> it's all still valid data is all still valid. That opportunity map is completely valid. Um, it's just, you know, we can layer more data on top of it and, and, and start to see like, okay, how well have we supported this thinking style? How weakly have we supported that thinking style? Um, and, and go from there, right? Make some choices, make some eyes open kind of choices about what we want to get done next. Mm -hmm. Yeah businesses are all about making choices i i sometimes feel that they already feel that they've made the choice of who they are serving and they're just sticking with that and they're just trying to crank out yeah. as much for as little investment yeah. as they can you know and that's that's fine lots of businesses can proceed that way um like i said if you don't think you need knowledge don't do research those businesses might be that way um there are going to be other businesses who do decide to get that knowledge and will end up with all of those customers so, um, because yeah, those so, customers yeah. will feel heard. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you mentioned like uh, it's usually individuals, but I'm curious, yeah. what have you, have you seen, and uh, speaking about patterns, have you seen some patterns emerge from what types of individuals, what types of businesses are more receptible to this? 
Hmm. Yeah, it's been all over the map. Um, I see insurance come up a lot. I see healthcare come a lot. Um, government is now a big contender of of doing these. So, um, but that is to say, I mean, like I've worked with people who are making um, uh, heavy equipment. <laughs> so all, all sorts of different um, areas. Um, what is the pattern of that person? Um, I think that person feels uh, like they can make a shift. They feel within their organization, like either they are connected to an executive champion or they know how to connect to uh, some sort of higher level stakeholder who can champion this, um, or they themselves are at that level. So I've seen that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Because I think you need that kind of support. This is, this is a long-term investment. Like it's foundational and uh, the correlation to uh, like the direct return on investment is usually quite loose. So you have to Mm -hmm. sort of have faith that this is actually a smart thing to be, to be doing. Right. And then therefore you need people who have a, a bit of longer horizon. Yeah, it's a different kind of research. Teresa Torres, um, who's a product talk um, product uh, person, she says there's you know the long term knowledge and there's the week on week knowledge that we need. And when I say knowledge, I mean research, right? And she says you have to have the long term, or your organization's not going to be around in another ten years. Yeah, and who and the here here is the major challenge. Who cares about the 10-year horizon of an organization these days, right? Uh, right, right. In, our, yeah. in our government environment, that might that that's hopefully the case. But that in a might lot of, be different. <laughs> in a lot of commercial settings, yeah. uh, we should be happy when yeah. people have a six-month horizon. Um, and that's yeah. that that that's what makes it so challenging. Um, what yeah. have you actually yeah. come to think of it? All those examples that I gave are people who organizations and fields who have long-term horizons. I mean, heavy equipment, that's long-term horizon. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and you, like you mentioned in the beginning, you sort of have to feel their responsibility to do this. Yeah. I think there, I think there's one outlier and that is the entrepreneur, um, the person who, um, so we actually did a study about entrepreneurs and there are five different thinking styles that we discovered. <laughs> um, and there's one type of thinking style was like, I love being in business. Um, I don't care what it is. Mm-hmm. That's a thinking style. Um, there, there's, you know, a whole bunch of other ones where like, oh, I've got this thing and it, the world has to have it because it'll make the world a better place. I'm going to save the world. Um different thinking style. Uh, They're a little bit more uh, focused on their solution. Whereas that thinking style where it's like, I just love being in business and it doesn't matter what the thing is, they're the ones who go out and do this research. And I have done this with several entrepreneurs over and over again, where they map it out first, like before I even get funding, what am I doing? What, What problems am I solving for whom? Um, I've got some ideas. Let's go poke into those and then and get some better data about which direction to go. So that's another area. Because it un- uncovers opportunities. Yes. And pivot points too. Hmm. Yeah. What 
when you speak to people about this, you know, when you teach people, when you coach people, what is what is a common common misconception around uh, the notion of thinking styles and qualitative research? Maybe people are saying, "Yeah, but we do we are we are already doing this." Like, what are some common misconceptions? Um, I think it isn't necessarily a misconception, but an assumption that they that the way that they're doing it is the is right and doing a good job. Um, I, I think is maybe a a trust in the process that may be misplaced. Um, they, uh, I've got this um, diagram out there that tries to chart all these different data collection techniques, quant and qual across opportunity, generative and evaluative research. And, um, and when people look at that, they're like, oh my God, I'm taking this to my stakeholders because we only do this one thing. <laughs> I, I didn't realize like we could do all these other things um, that would actually be better suited for the knowledge that we need. Um, and this, even this question, like, why do research when you don't think you need knowledge? You're, you're a company, you've got a short time horizon, and everybody else around you is hiring researchers. So you're like, okay, I guess I have to hire researchers. Why? <laughs> right? If that's not your thing, if you think you know it, you mm. know what you're doing, why mm. are you doing that? Mm. Um, I, I think it's a mistake, but, you know, there's, there's lucky... Uh, there's lucky tickets out there all the time. And I think in our history, the ones that we glorify are the people who pulled the lucky ticket, right? Like the Jeff Bezos or the Mark Zuckerberg or whatever, right? They like just were there at the right time, the right place. And so they got lucky and now it's my turn. I'm going to go try to find that lucky ticket. Mm. Um, it's hard to find those lucky tickets. The low-hanging fruit is gone. And if you want the higher up fruit, we need knowledge. We need a plan. We need to know how to get it. Otherwise, someone else is going to take it. That's uh, that, that's a really good uh, uh, insight. I'm curious. You've been uh, this topic must be on your mind these days a lot because you're writing again. What do you feel are some questions still left unexplored for you? What what, what keeps you awake? Um, one of the things that I'm talking to Erica Hall from Mule Design uh, about is this being able to connect with our stakeholders and being able to connect with our colleagues. Um, and I think that this is a, this is ripe right now for solving. Um, I think if we don't solve it, we're, um, we're in trouble of shaking apart. <laughs> um, not every organization has this problem. And in fact, one of the thinking styles out of that research about entrepreneurs was the thinking style about I'm building an organ, I'm building people together, I'm building a team, right? The product is less important than the team I'm building, which is a really interesting thinking style. Um, and hopefully, you know, if, if if we can get techniques out there um, for 
And she and I both believe listening is the technique to use. And if we can get that technique out there and in progress, um, not only will it help us understand how other people think within our business, but it will help even like if you're a manager and you're tasked with uh, helping people in their careers in your team, um, as well as managing you know, their output or whatever, um, listening is a great tool for that. Um, listening, finding patterns. I, I frequently will get called into clients where they're like, nobody's agreeing. And so I will go and do listening sessions with everybody and say, okay, here are the patterns. Guess what? You all agree on this thing. And here's the place where you disagree. And then we can talk about that. Uh, so May, solving that. That's interesting. Um, the other thing that I'm interested in right now, uh, two other things is um, I've always been doing applied research. There's a lot of academic research out there that is very similar to what I'm doing. So I'm just trying to tie this back to those roots so that people in academia can see, oh, um, like if I wanted to get out of academia and go into applied research, I could do this. And this is the same thing. They're just, we're all using different <laughs> words for it. And then the third thing is um, jobs to be done. There are, are several different ways of doing jobs to be done, um, frameworks around it. And I'm exploring all of those and trying to see what is it that I'm doing uh, that's the same? And what is it that I'm doing that's different? Um, there are a lot of people out there who are tying what I do to jobs to be done um, end surveys and things um, because it seems to be working for their clients. And um, I want to understand that a little bit as well. Mm. Yeah. We uh, recently had Jim Kalbach uh, on the show, I think a few mm -hmm. episodes ago. Uh, we didn't talk about jobs to be done, but he has one of the books out book. there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What, um, I'm curious if people want to dig deeper into this, what are some recommended resources uh, to start with? I I have a ton of lists. You have a of lot. That's, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah, the top of your I'm, head, like your top three or something. Um, so it really depends on if you are of more of a research bent or if you're more of a product or a service bent. Um, if you're more of a research bent and you want to understand like academic like background to it, you could look at mixed methods. It's a book by Sam Ladner. Um, uh, if you're interested in the, the harms that our software is doing, has done, um, try to get your hand uh, or arms around that. Um, we've got, um, of course, <laughs> Weapons of Math Destruction by Kathy O'Neill, um, and then a couple of other books from the past, like um, Design for Real Life and Technically Wrong by Sarah Wachter-Bocher. Um, Eric Meyer was in there too. Uh, we've got Race After Technology and Mismatch and Design Justice. Um, so those are some interesting ones. Um, I actually put Design Justice into a pile that's more like solution-oriented. Like, how are we going to solve for this? Um, so that's just for books. Um, I also have, I host a bunch of people's uh, essays um, who haven't got to the book level mm. on my um, website under knowledge uh, essays and 
what is it called? The link will be in the show notes. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> Essays and recordings. So there's a bunch of their work out there too. People are talking about this a lot. Um, there's somebody in Greece who just reached out to me where we're like, you know, we need to teach quality, what it, how to recognize quality research or how to recognize when it's not quality research mm -hmm. so we can get better. Um, so that's another area to look into. There's nothing necessarily written about that yet. <laughs> But there's, and if you're there's, interested in it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot, and that's a good uh, mm -hmm. sign. And um, yeah. maybe it's um, uh, it, it hasn't surfaced yet to the broad community, but I hope uh, episodes like this contribute to uh, a greater awareness uh, for this. Yeah. If people remember, Absolutely. yeah, if people mm -hmm. remember one thing from this conversation, what do you hope it is? Um. That's a hard question to answer. I'm never good at ones. <laughs> Fours, give me four things. <laughs> One thing I guess I would say listening um, is something to explore uh, because it's such a powerful tool. Um, what is, makes it powerful? The thing that it builds, which is trust, feeling heard. Um, those two things are amazing, powerful outputs of listening. So maybe that's the one thing you could take away from this. That's the place to start, at least. And uh, and uh, I, I really like that because it's it, it's we do it so much listening, but we do it so unconsciously often. And yeah. it's actually yeah. something you can practice, get better at and uh, reap, yeah. reap more benefits from. So yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. Once once you start recognizing what's coming out of a person's mouth and whether it's at surface and depth, all of a sudden <laughs> your all your conversations are different. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And and uh I hope people who have been listening to this episode uh the next time will be listening from a different perspective and a richer perspective. In the, we have to wrap it up uh, at this point. I know we could continue. Maybe we'll do a, a sequel when the book is out. That would be nice. Yeah, uh, that would, yeah, be, that nice. would be great. Mm -hmm. um, let's let's plan this because we uh, we know how long it took for us to get onto this call. <laughs> <laughs> right? If we start planning now, it'll happen. <laughs> that will be a good moment. And maybe also a, a bit of social pressure to get the, the book out there. Anyway, there I, I wish you a lot of luck and thanks for sharing and addressing this topic with, uh, with the Service Design Show community. Absolutely. I'm all for the community and uh, making us all more powerful. Um, we all so learn from one another <laughs> that I feel like I'm in this position to sort of like reflect more um, and, and someone else can be in this position next, which is great. I love the fact that we're such a... a, a an independent interdependent community um so yay thank you for doing it <laughs> we're almost at the end of this episode awesome that you made it all the way here apparently you're enjoying conversations like this and that makes me really happy if you know somebody who might enjoy this conversation as well grab the link and share this podcast with them. That helps me a lot because it helps to grow the Service Design Show community. And that, again, helps me to invite more inspiring guests like Indy here on this show for you. So grab that link, share it with just one other person today. That would be awesome. Thanks again for listening to the Service Design Show. As always, it was great having you. 
keep making a positive impact. And I'll catch you in two weeks time with a brand new episode. See you then.